How do casual dining restaurants survive during a period when everybody seems to be staying home and getting takeout? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine, and this week's edition of A Deeper Dive features Denny Marie Post, the former CEO of Red Robin and a longtime restaurant executive. Casual dining has faced challenges going back a decade, but current trends appear to be causing particular problems. We talk about why this is and why consumers appear to be picky when choosing their dine-in concept, as well as what current trends mean for the business model and how restaurant operators can adapt. Later in the podcast, I talk about why supply constraints are an apparent marketing tool right now. But first, here's Denny Marie Post. Okay, I am here with Denny Marie Post. Denny, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. It's great to be with you. So, Denny, how's retirement treating you? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's um, uh, retirement has been interesting. It's been, I hope, brief because I do intend to uh, stay active. Um, I'm not ready to hang it up yet, but uh, but it's been providing some pretty interesting perspective as I stepped out of out of the business after so many years and. And uh, I'm the acting CEO at Women's Food Service Forum, so I'm keeping my fingers in the in the pie of the category and talking to lots of people and hearing lots of things. But it gives me a chance to gain some perspective, um, uh, pulling up and out of running a brand to uh, looking at the overall category. And it's been an interesting four months of reflection for me. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the overall category here for a minute. Um... I wanted to ask you specifically about, you know, where do you see casual dining going? I think the last few years, well, I mean, I mean, it, it really the last decade, but the, the past couple of years in particular have uh, have presented some major, major, major changes to to the restaurant space and to anybody that is focused on dine-in business at all as consumers have seemingly sped up their shift towards takeout. What's your sort of assessment on how casual dining sort of fixes that long term? What are what are companies to do? I tell you, it is it is really really difficult times for uh, for this category. And you know, you look back at the last um, and obviously significant major recession. Um, 2007, 2008, when all of that started to kick in. And, and what really took it in the teeth then was family dining. If you remember, um, yeah, families fell away from coming out. And they continue to be the primary bread and butter, the middle-income family of casual dining. Um, if you um, combine that now with the number of options that uh, customers have, that consumers have, for uh, the same number of meals, they're not eating more meals. You know, you can talk about snack occasion all you want to, but the reality is people are still mostly eating three meals a day. And so the, the options that people have today are exponential compared to where we were even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, certainly. And there are some other major trends that are going on that are going against casual dining as well. Um, you know, there's been a lot written about uh, the millennials are killing casual dining. I mean, the reality is, this next generation has a much wider range, again, of options. Uh, the growth of independent restaurants, the growth of fast casual, the level of quality that can be got on almost every corner. For boomers, that didn't exist. Um, chain restaurants were, for us, a novelty. The fact that you could get the same thing in, this, in a brand in multiple different places was, was new when you were, if you were raised in the 60s. I mean, that just didn't occur. McDonald's grew up. All of us grew up over the last 50 years. So, uh, so you know, I think, um, I think between generational change, the growth of quality options, and the change in access, if you're going to go out and eat out, which many guests will still do, they're just not doing it with the same frequency, 
why would you go do that at a chain when you can experience something unique and distinctive from a local vendor or a new place? And, uh, and so I, I just think the, the pressures on dine-in, and you're, you're right to call it that first and foremost, overall the pressures on dine-in are extremely um, high. Casual dining in particular is in the crosshairs because it just has uh, less and less relevance to uh, a growing generation, um, uh, the coming generation of, of folks that are going to have money to spend. Right, right. I think that's the, the, one of the issues that's, you know, it's, I, I have two sons and my family will go out to eat and, you know, when we're, you know, you'll spend, you know, I don't know, roughly on average anywhere from about, you know, if we're, we're sitting in and dining at a dining concept, we'll, we'll, we'll spend 80 to a hundred, hundred plus dollars on a night. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and, it, but the problem, one of the challenges is that, that, that price point would be at, would be roughly the same at, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a bar and grill chain, uh, versus a, you know, versus a, a, a really cool local concept. Where am I going to go? Well, you just said it. I mean, the, the level of enthusiasm about a really cool local concept is, is so different. I, I have, um, you know, I have a son who's 25. I have a niece who's a, a mother of, of two young ones under five years old. Um, I've, you know, spent time with both of them and, uh, and yeah, they just, they just don't choose to go to the chain. Um, they're very drawn to the discovery. We were into consistency. I'm a boomer. I was, we were into consistency. I think that the next generation is much more into discovery and, uh, and they are willing to risk their dollar, if you will, because the expectation frankly is much higher, uh, in terms of, of just think of the, the range of ethnic foods that are available today, uh, you know, it's, it's so different than, than when we were coming up. So I think relevance is a major issue. The other thing is you just have to look at, you know, here we are in, in, you know, arguably one of the strongest economies, uh, full employment, all of the components that are working for us, and yet traffic is still dramatically down. And, and there are some chains, obviously, they're reporting better results than others, but if you dig underneath it, I think what you're seeing is expansion of operating hours in some cases, or you're seeing a lot of pricing, a lot of pricing. And, uh, and again, you know, when the lines start to blur, particularly on that pricing front, to your point, when you're going to spend the same money for, uh, um, you know, a, a meal out in, in something that's kind of average, um, and expected versus exciting, there's a big, there's a big, uh, uh broad line there. So, uh, it is certainly a recession. Um, should we should we face one, and all odds are on that we will in the next you know twelve to eighteen months, um, is going to shake out a lot of folks. I think it's going to shake out a lot of chains. I think it's going to shake out a lot of franchisees in particular who are who are more vulnerable in many ways. And uh, and and I don't see the change in behaviors coming either. I, I mean, you know, um, all the reasons that had us out and about that took us into casual dining restaurants, movies, shopping. Um, uh, you know, the only thing that's left is still going with your kids to the, to the soccer field. But let's be honest, you'd rather run them back through fast casual afterwards if they're in that shape than you would go sit down and, and give your evening over to the control of a server, right? So, um, so that just the, the macro, the, the, uh, the environmental demands that drove casual dining are also falling away. Uh, and people are cocooning in the true sense of what Faith Popcorn thought, but now they've got a lot more reasons to do it, right? So 
It's, I, I have a hard time and, and a hard time imagining the business. Uh, as I said, you know, you and I can have a cup of coffee in 10 years if it even takes that long. And I think we'll be talking about some brands that were, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I, it's, um, you know, I mean, these are extremely good points. I mean, people, um, I, 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 th- I tend to think that, that the retail environment is sort of an underrated aspect of, of, of what, of these traffic challenges in the past couple of years, particularly at casual dining. I mean, a lot of casual dining, like Applebee's and TGI Fridays and a lot of these companies were, were, were grew up and, and developed around the mall, around the concept of this shopping center at, Oh, the power center. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, and, and, you know, and I've seen, uh, you know, again, and, um, not to speak specifically to, to any inside baseball or, you know, inside what I know, but I do know and have seen, and, and it's been shared by a number of different concepts that, um, the, the enclosed mall locations are in real trouble, um, because they also, um, do not, uh, in any way benefit from to go or, you know, are you really going to go park trips across a parking lot, no matter how few cars are there, but you're still, it's not convenient. Trips across a parking lot into a mall to go pick up to go food. No, uh, the third party guys don't really like to deal with it. Um, you know, so, so the, those locations don't even have that ability to drive access, um, as much as, as perimeter, at least perimeter road, you know, you still got some of that working for you. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not to say, but I would say in cl- any concepts that are trapped in enclosed malls are really, um, really struggling because the traffic, the, the, the captive traffic is simply not there. Yeah. I, you know, that's, you know, that's a, an interesting point because I think, I, I mean, people talk about like, all right, well, casual dining can, can ease this convenience gap between fast casual and fast food. And, you know, I mean, maybe with delivery, the problem is that, you know, look at McDonald's, for instance. McDonald's is on the corner of every single intersection, interstate intersection. You know, you have, yeah, right. All of these restaurants that were developed, but it was developed specifically for takeout. It was developed because it wanted to be as convenient as humanly possible. Applebee's doesn't do that. It has, it's, it's, you know, maybe located near malls. It's really, it can be very difficult to get to it. It can be difficult to find it. Um, so to me, it's sort of hard to imagine casual dining and, and as, as, as this world continues to shift towards a more takeout business, maybe casual dining can recover some of it, especially from, from a delivery standpoint, but it's really hard for me to imagine that it's really going to be able to eat, you know, narrow this convenience gap by any stretch of the imagination, simply because of the way they've been located. Well, I agree. And, and, you know, you add to that and, you know, you mentioned Applebee's, I mean, they have the advantage of tremendous penetration. Their, their sheer number of units has them much closer to a lot more of America than many of the chains that have, you know, somewhere closer to under a thousand or, you know, just don't have a penetration that an Applebee's does. So that, that neighborhood bar and grill at least gets them closer, um, to where guests are when they primarily want takeout, which is dinner or, you know, or delivery delivery is for dinner, I think much more strongly. I mean, there is the business lunch delivery component and there's catering and there's a whole bunch of that we can talk about separately, but, but they are better positioned in that sense, but they're, um, you know, they're, they're not well positioned in the sense that they don't have a huge, I mean, brands that have a known for something that's really craved, 
um, you know, uh, a very distinct, uh, I'm going to pick one out, uh, privately held red lobster. Um, people don't cook fish at home, but they do occasionally crave it. They've got something on the menu. Those, you know, those famous cheddar baby biscuits, everybody wants a hold of uh, those brands, I think are better positioned than the, the broad menu, varietal menu, please everybody kind of, uh, bar and grill chains that existed for so long. Again, they just, do I go home and say, got to ha- have that? You know, it, 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 you've got to have some draw that causes you to go through the process of digging down and finding in a marketplace like Grubhub or DoorDash or any of them, the brand you want. And, and we can talk, I think it's starting to disaggregate brand pretty dramatically. But back to your point, they're sitting in these brick and mortar, um, uh, you know, uh, fun- uh, uh, <laughs> it's all brick and mortar, right? High occupancy cost. And the margin associated with third-party delivery is dramatically different than serving the guest, and yet they have to continue to be staffed to serve the guest. And so it, the, the financial model, it just doesn't support it working out of that, that um, you know, that 5,200-square-foot or, uh, you know, unit that has all the costs associated uh, with trying to run a dine-in location. Uh, the, the math doesn't work. Um, and that, uh, that I think is one of the biggest challenges along with, to your point, location. Um, you know, on the flip side, I will say QSR has got its own problem. I started to go through a drive through the other day of an unnamed QSR brand pulled in and fortunately I still could get out. And the guy said, it'll be 45 minutes. I was in the drive through and I said, 45 minutes, what on earth? And he said, we just got slammed with a bunch of Uber Eats orders. And, and literally the people in front of me who couldn't drive out over the curb were stuck in the drive-thru lane and I was able to back out and go away. So they're having their own capacity challenges that is affecting their service through drive-thru. And so this is without a doubt the most complex time I've ever seen for all the segments of the business. But casual dining, as I said, I think has got the most, the most pressures, the most pressures. Yeah, I was in a um I was in a Mendocino Farms. I wrote about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was in a Mendocino Farms in Los Angeles and and there was nobody in line. It was noon. It was like super busy outside too. I still don't quite understand why more people in the parking lot at this restaurant didn't go inside, but whatever. And you know the 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 dine, dining area was 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 not full by any stretch of the imagination. There was there were uh, very few seats taken, and um, Mario Del Perro told me that told me that you know that at the time the the queue online the digital queue was two hours long. Um, so something is completely changing in this business. Well, and, and, and of course that, okay, so if you come from a place which is about the seated guest and you try to deal with that, here's what happens. Um, you have uh, individual operators turning off um, the pad, you know, the, the, the iPads that are bringing in the orders from online. Um, so it, 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 you know, they're, they're saying, I got to deal with a guy who's right in front of me. Or they're not dealing with the guest who's right in front of them. So they're unhappy because they're suddenly their service is extremely slow. I mean, it just creates this this uh, this crash, right? Of of this clash of demand, I guess is how I would describe it. Not crash, but clash of demand, and uh, and everyone everyone is struggling with it. And you know, and then you and then you realize that that business going out the door via the third party aggregator is going out at half the margin, roughly. 
I mean, where, where do you turn? Right. And so this whole argument about incrementality and what's incremental, there is certainly a, a level of incrementality associated with catering because, you know, those 12 people in that conference room are not going to get up and go to your restaurant. So I'd say catering of the off-premise business is arguably the most incremental, but everything below that becomes, well, if I've gotten food delivered from, let's use Applebee's again, uh, Applebee's, am I really going to go there tomorrow? You know, do I, uh, is it going to be first on my list if I choose to dine out? It, no, you know, and there is, there is something in the, the added access, but there's also only so many times you're going to, you know, casual dining's never had the frequency of usage that quick service has, um, because of the convenience of quick service. So I, you know, that, that's the other challenge is it's, it's not, um, it's not incremental, I don't think, over time, and it comes at a far lower value to the business. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not, uh, there's too many choices out there for me to go to the same place over and over and over again, especially if I'm going to spend a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And there are some folks, I mean, you and I, you and I are in the business, right? But, but I think we're more reflective of people who, like I said, who want more, greater variety in their lives because they have the option of it. I mean, you know, again, when I was growing up, we didn't have pho on every corner and, and a Mex great local Mexican restaurant on every corner and India. I mean, just the, the growth of eth ethnic foods alone. And it mirrors, of course, the diversity of our population and the willingness to try new things. Um, so, so it is, uh, you know, I think quick service is probably better positioned to weather through, um, and, and arguably a lot of the fast casual, which, um, because their their operating engine, because their 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 um, you know units don't tend to be as high occupancy, they run lower labor. They're more set up to to benefit from this third party off off premise uh, proposition in some ways. And certainly, than casual dining is right. But we've seen like in the fast casual market, we've seen a plenty of evidence that that the shift towards takeout has really sort of roiled that business as well because. You know, a lot of like the fast casual pizza names like Blaze and companies like that were built for, for a dining customer because everybody has assumed that like more customers would would use the experience of being able to customize your pizza and you'd eat it on site and da 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 da. Now people are taking it to go and so they've had to adjust. So it's really, you know, I mean, it's fascinating how, how, how much of an impact this has had. Yeah, but they they are. Um, I agree. They've had to adjust, but I think they're they're better capable of doing it. Number one, they're still not. You know, there's still growth opportunity. They can continue to evolve their the design of their their unit, um, and and you know deal with that over time. And then you know customization. The interesting your your point about Mendocino Farms, the digital queue. Um, you know, as as apps. I mean, I've I've really become very conscious of how, um, how intuitive apps are becoming. And I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who was talking about, um, it, we were both sharing that we've picked up a habit and I'm a, I'm an avid Starbucks um, person. I, you know, obviously worked there at one point, but I'm an avid and I don't even drink coffee. I just drink tea, uh, but I'm an avid Starbucks person. I will sit in the parking lot and order on digital and continue to do email rather than go stand in line and then walk in and grab it. I mean, you know, talk about farthest away from what Howard Schultz and the third place and the green velvet chair and all that. I mean, they, they resisted drive-throughs for a long time, but now I'm totally in control. I'm totally in control. I can take, you can use my time 
to sit there and do emails and do what I need to do and play words with friends in the car and then go in and grab it and walk back out. And I think that kind of instancy control, a lot of this is about control. And, um, you know, fast casual gave guests more control than being served by a by a, by a, um, a waiter or waitress. Uh, cause you could see if you were in line and you got your food, I knew I was going to get my next generally. Right. And you could gauge how long things were taking it, it, the, the level of control guests are expecting now with this online and digital experience. Um, and the better and more intuitive those apps get at capturing things like customization so that I simply hit it again, uh, and don't have to go through the process of telling you how I like my pizza. I'm telling you, there's, there's, um, there's a sea change coming in terms of, of, of the immediacy and the access that guests expect. And it doesn't involve a whole lot of human interaction, sadly. <laughs> uh, it does not. You know, I still think we're going to need humans to make the food. I, I, I've seen a lot of robotics, and I, I know that'll come over time. But, but, uh, but the craft of making food, um, I think, will still fall largely to, to humans. Um, the question is, where does, where's the role of the human in the process of ordering and serving? I know we've seen though uh, restaurant chains that that like specifically quick service, and I think this is this is you know quick, some quick service chains like In and Out and Chick Fil A and Culver's and companies like that 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 have staff well trained to be super polite and very nice and stuff like that. People appreciate it and they keep rewarding them with sales. So service remains very very important, even even in an area where you wouldn't think it. Service and experience do. Yeah, yeah, service and experience, and I would say that's also for casual dining. I don't mean to ring the, you know, the, the bell that says everybody's out. There, there are some high experience brands. I mean, you know, when we talked about malls, people still go and wait to dine in a cheesecake factory because there is an experience there that they simply don't get elsewhere. Um, you know, it's the kind of the over the top um, component of that of that food experience and service, et cetera. So I think there will be some, but it's the gen, the slightly, the generic bar and grill that's probably the least likely to get through this. Uh, high experience brands, high service, service always matters. I agree with you. But it's getting harder and harder to um, take it from the, from the uh, did you ever wait tables? Did you ever wait tables growing up? No, no, I didn't. I, I was a, I was a burger slinger. Yeah. Yeah, I flipped burgers. You were a burger slinger. Oh, I love it. Okay, well, I was, I was, so my, uh, my first job was at Dr. Red Loves Ice Cream Parlor, which was a, a bad ripoff of, um, of uh, what was the, what was the big chain that was in the 70s, uh, the restaurant, uh, the ice cream chain. Anyway, we were, we were a little local version of it. And then I worked at Sambo's on the graveyard shift. Uh, and then I bartended all the way through college and also uh, cocktail waitress all the way through college. But, you know, I could, I knew I was going to have an eight hour shift and I had some certainty of what I was going to earn today because of the uncertainty of dining traffic and the demand to manage labor, the lack of, um, of certainty, the lack of security for, for these servers is tremendous. So they're all, they're not just looking for another dime an hour. They're looking for a place where they know they're going to get you know, the number of hours they need in a week to make, to make the rent. And it's becoming a less, um, a less certain, less secure role. So it's also putting a lot of pressure on who are the folks that you're going to have that are going to be in that environment. And I think, 
Um, you know, it, it, because phasing, phasing people off on shift has become the way to control labor and labor costs being the one thing, you know, you've got, you've got some immediate control over, but boy, it sure affects that service. Sure affects that service. Uh, I mean, because we, we have a point of full employment and, and, you know, people, workers have their choice of where they want to go. And, uh, is that, that a problem in that sense? It is. It is, but when you, you realize how distributed, so if you're a general manager or even just a shift supervisor for that day and you're trying to make sure you, you know, you bring the, bring the day in on budget, you can't, the food cost is what the food cost is. The demand is what the demand is. And one of the few things you've got control over is how many people are on the floor. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I don't fault anybody, you know, trying to be really shrewd about that, but it's, it's an in, imperfect science to say the least. Um, uh, because you, you know, you really start to undermine, you suddenly have people taking more tables than they took before, et cetera. Um, so I, I wouldn't say we're on our worst, worst enemy. It's the only lever they've got to pull, um, uh, to be able to control, to be able to control the costs associated with their, uh, with their P and L. And, um, it does, it does undermine service. Definitely does. What do, what do restaurant, what do casual dining chains do to deal with this overall situation? I mean, how do they figure out a way to either combat, either, either get customers to dine in more often, which is what they need or, or better adapt to, um, uh, this shift towards takeout? Well, my, my personal thought is that there will be continue to be the flagship dine-in locations, but there's a, there's a vast rationalization needed in terms of number of locations. So I, I you know, I think, um, uh, you know, the, the, the staffing of the full service dine-in and the, you're just not going to see the growth in seats, uh, anymore. And if anything, you'll finally start to see some real retraction, I think, at least in chain restaurants, it's starting to happen. And, and, you know, back to where we started in terms of real estate location strategies, uh, you know, rationalizing yourself out of the mall locations is probably one of the first things that, that I think a lot of folks are going to have to do. So probably shrinking the footprint a bit and then reconsidering what uh, the next footprint looks like. Can you take a brand and extend it closer to the guest? Be it, I mean, yes, I know all the, you know, the growth in these ghost kitchen ideas. The question is, can you get lower cost real estate? closer to the guest that delivers better quality food and, uh, and, and, and have your brand bridge that because the, if you're ordering from home, you really, um, you don't care. You just care that you get high, you know, quality and you're almost willing to give up some quality you do anyway. Um, but if you can get it closer to the guest without the overhead of a full dine-in brick and mortar location, I think that will be the secret for some brands. So I think it's going to be a, um, a, um, uh, you know, flagship kind of dining locations that continue to drive association with the brand, et cetera. And then, um, production kitchens closer to the guest seems to me to be a model that's really starting to, to make sense as I look at all the options out there and watch the growth of some of these ideas. But there's not going to be, a, but yeah, yeah, you've really got to reconfigure the business model. And, uh, and then on top of that, you have to have a brand that is, um, is known for something <laughs> that, that, you know, because again, if you go into these marketplaces, you know, back to your point about Maine and Maine, it used to be, you know, the location was a lot of what drove it. I can take a ride in here and there's a place I see a parking spot and I'm going to go in that restaurant. 
Well, now when you go online, you're, you're faced with a, a grocery shelf worth of options. And, uh, and, and even how people, and I don't know this because I haven't done the research, but my instinct tells me and everything I've read says people shop online very differently. They go in with not, I'm going to go to, um, let's use Applebee's again because we've used them throughout. Not that I'm going to go to Applebee's because everybody's going to find something, but I'm craving a burger. Press burger, what comes up? What are my options? Everything from fast food all the way up to, you know, one from Capitol Grill. And, uh, and so, you know, that, that is reorienting the way people access. And that's when I said the disaggregation of brand, because you're getting the option of, of choosing what I feel like first, as opposed to where am I going to go first? And, uh, and so brands, uh, and, and I, I use third party, I use Grubhub a lot. Um, it's the one app I have on my phone because I travel a lot and I don't use, I never get room service anymore. Whoever gets room service in a hotel, you know, when you can, <laughs> you can get anything from around. And I don't know that sushi restaurant, but I look at how many stars it's got and, uh, and I, you know, have sushi delivered or barbecue or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's changing the way the guest is interacting with choice as well. And brand becomes less important. How fast you can get it to me, how many stars it's got. And what your options are is becoming more important than what the brand name is, for sure. Um, so I got you know I, I always hate this because I sound like such a you know so negative on it, but I I I truly I think there will be some that will absolutely um, come through this, but they're the ones that are known for something. They're the ones that that will drive the experience when you do choose to come in. And you know what? It's also largely. Um, still going to be a, a quite different, I think, at least for some time, coastal versus Midwest, you know, there, there, there's still going to be, um, there's still going to be uh, room for chains. They're just not, they're just not the growth vehicle they once were. Right. Awesome. Denny, this was fantastic. Uh, really appreciate you joining, uh, joining me on the podcast this week. I, I enjoyed it a great deal, Jonathan. Thank you so much. It sure seems like restaurants are having a lot of supply challenges lately. Popeye's, as most of you know, ran out of chicken sandwiches. Then KFC sold out of its Beyond Fried Chicken in Atlanta in just five hours. For Popeye's and KFC, of course, the supply challenges may well be part of the marketing element. In Popeye's case, the company bought only six weeks of supply of chicken sandwiches and ran out in less than two. That has given it more marketing ammunition, whether it intended or not, helping to get more attention while spending very little on actual advertising. Similarly, KFC deliberately restricted its fake chicken test, created a lot of demand, and quickly ran out of product. This is marketing in 2019. Companies need to get attention because there are so many choices and there's so much out there that they need to do something extraordinary to break through the noise. The problem is that we may end up seeing more of this. A lot of people are paying attention to these issues and many other restaurants could adopt a similar marketing strategy for their own ends. The problem is these demand-creating ideas proliferate, they will work less and less often. (laughs) 